Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Happy to have with us tonight my friend and our brother Eddie Boggess, and he has been working in ministry for almost 30 years now. He's worked with congregations in Tennessee, Georgia, Louisiana, and Alabama. He's worked with the uh, Woodbury Church of Christ now in Woodbury, Tennessee since December of 2019, and he's been doing a really excellent work there. He's a graduate of Freed Hardman, married to Karen, formerly Barlow, and they have two children. And uh, I got to know Eddie through the Middle Tennessee Minister's Lunch, and we've uh, had a number of conversations over the past few years across the table there, and uh, just got to know him and really do love him and appreciate him, and uh, got him here as soon as I could, and we're really happy to have you here tonight, Brother Eddie. Come talk to us. Well, good evening. It is such a great pleasure to be able to be here with you tonight. I appreciate the invitation. I was excited when uh, Josh uh, messaged me and uh, asked me if I would be able to do this, and excited to be able to do it, and uh, looking forward to it, and have very much enjoyed getting to know some of you, and hope to be able to get to know some more of you uh, following the, the service tonight. Very impressed uh, with what your young folks are learning uh, at the beginning of service, and uh, also with our song leader, you did an excellent job. Appreciate you very much uh, for uh, your uh, being willing to do that and, and, and learn how and uh, being so good at it at such a young age. So, tomorrow is Monday the 3rd, and then after that we have Tuesday the 4th of July, right? How many of you have some big plans for Tuesday? I mean, maybe you're going to have some, some family over and grill some good things to eat, or, or maybe you're going to go see a big fireworks show, or I'm not sure what all you might have planned. Uh, we used to have a, a, a big family reunion every 4th of July. A lot of folks do that because everybody's off work, and it's a good time uh, for folks to do that. But, of course, we understand that even though we may do a lot of fun things on this holiday, we know what it means. It is the birthday of our great nation, Independence Day, to recognize our independence from Great Britain. And it also celebrates a value that all Americans hold dear. As Americans, there's not a lot that we all agree on, right? Matter of fact, there's probably more that we disagree about than there is that we can agree on. But there's one value that we believe in, we fight for, and that's freedom. Freedom of choice, which we define as the ability to choose whatever we want to do with our lives. doesn't matter what someone else might think. If they think our choices are, are foolish or wise, if they think our choices are, are right or wrong, we don't care. Because we have the right to make the choices for ourselves. To us, freedom means that when it comes to our time, however much time we have here on the earth, 
We can spend it whatever way we choose. And when it comes to our God-given talents, the, the, the things that God has blessed us with, we can do with those whatever we see fit. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, doing whatever we choose with our time and with our talents is what freedom is all about. Except as Christians, when we made the choice to be a part we gave that freedom up. We let that freedom go. Which is exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, that was read so well just a moment ago. I ask you if you have your Bible still open there to leave them there. If not, open them back up there. We're going to look at it a little bit more carefully. Paul here is writing to the church at Colossae, and he begins his letter really getting into the meat of what he wants to talk about in this way. Let's, let's read it again together. He has delivered us... Excuse me, I got the wrong verse there. I need to get my eyes out here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers... All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, of course, we understand, in fact, it's pretty obvious, that, that Paul there is talking about Jesus. And he says a lot of, of fascinating, amazing, wonderful about our Lord and Savior says that he is the very image of God well, what an idea that is if we had time to explore that tonight he says uh, that he is over all creation not only that but he says that it was through him and for him that everything is made he says that he is the head of the church again all of these fascinating ideas that we can explore but practically speaking Maybe the most important thing for our daily lives that Paul says in this text is the very last thing that he says. That Jesus needs to have the preeminence. Now preeminence is not a, a word that, that we use every day. It's a kind of a big fancy word, but, but it's not hard to understand what it means. If you don't understand, you can look it up pretty easily. The word simply means to be in the first place. To be the one who is the top priority, the, the most important one of all. The one who is above all things. And that's why when it comes to being a Christian, as members of the body of Christ, when it comes to being a Christian and freedom of choice, the choice has already been made. We're going to put Jesus first. And so that being the case, tonight we're going to look at the topic that you asked me to address in this summer series. Now I'm not sure what anyone else has spoken on or what they've said about it, so we're going to focus on what you have asked me to speak about, which is putting Jesus first when it comes to our time and our talents. We're going to approach it in this way. 
First, we are going to look at what it means to put Jesus first in our time and talents in principle. And then we're going to back up and look at it in a more practical way. We're going to ask, what does it look like to put Jesus first with our time? And then what does it look like to put Jesus first with our talents? Well, we're going to start, as I said just a moment ago, by what it means in principle to put Jesus first. And that's another reason why I'm really glad that I was given this particular assignment on this particular day leading into the, the 4th of July uh, Independence Day that we will celebrate in just a couple of days because when we think about putting Jesus first, that really means that we're going to go back to what our forefathers rebelled against, in a way. In the 1770s, Americans were, were chafing under the rule of the British monarchy. King George III was determined to rule the new world and to tell everybody in the American colonies just all that they were having to do. And, and our forefathers, men like uh, Jefferson and Adams and Hancock, decided that they didn't like that. They didn't like having a king over them who was, you know, a thousand miles away. And so they got together on July the 4th, 1776, and they declared their independence. And ever since that fateful day, we as Americans have rebelled against the idea of being under a king. We don't want a monarchy in this country. But as Christians, that is exactly what we have chosen for ourselves. Because Jesus Christ is king. Now, he's not the same kind of king as George III. As a matter of fact, when he's standing before Pilate in John the 18th chapter, he tries to explain to the Roman governor the kind of king that, that he is. And I don't think Pilate understands him very well, but, but look at these two verses, John chapter 18, uh, verse 36. Jesus answered, says to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so Jesus is a king, he says to, to Pilate, but, but he's not the kind of king that Pilate is, is looking for. So what kind of king is he? Well, he is a king, as he tries to explain to Pilate, who calls all who are willing to hear the truth, to be a part of this kingdom. It doesn't matter where you live physically on the earth, what geographical location you call your home, what uh, secular nation rules over you. Jesus calls all who are willing to hear the truth to be a part of his kingdom. Amen. But it's not a physical kingdom here on the earth. That's another thing that, that Pilate struggled to understand. It is, of course, a, a spiritual kingdom. Jesus is never has and never will sit on a throne on the earth. After his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, he received a spiritual kingdom that he reigns over today. The prophet Daniel, in Daniel the 7th chapter, verses 13 and 14, describes several hundred years before it happens what it would look like before God's throne when Jesus comes and receives his kingdom. Take a look at this passage, Daniel chapter 7, 
in verses 13 and 14. Daniel writes, I was watching the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And so Jesus is a king, but he is reigning over a, a spiritual kingdom in heaven. Now, the fact of the matter is that most of the people today do not acknowledge his kingship. One of these days, when he comes back, that will change. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, uh, the apostle Paul tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, above those in heaven, and those on the earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But also it is the fact of the matter that as Christians today, we do acknowledge His kingship. And we have given Him the rule and authority over our lives. That means that we have a different ruler than everybody living around us. It means that even though we live in the United States of America, and even though I'm sure you do as I do, respect and love this great nation, and I'm so grateful that I'm able to live in it, and I'm grateful for the freedoms that it gives me, and I, I celebrate its birthday in a couple days just as you will. But even though all that is the case, it, it's not really my country. My citizenship's in heaven, Philippians 3 and verse 20. And I have a different ruler. So do you. And so I live my life in a different way. And so do you. That also means that even though practically we enjoy the freedoms that come with being Americans and, and with living in this country, that we know that we have no real freedom. Because we gave up our freedom when we died to ourselves and were raised to be a part of Christ. We gave up our freedom when we acknowledged His rule over our lives. Now we do make choices. We still make choices every day. And in many ways we make choices the same way as everybody else on this earth does. But, but also in other ways we make them in a very different way. Because our choices are all based on following Jesus. All based on His rule, His authority, His kingship. Every decision we make, He's the top priority. Raise your hand for me if you like the game of Rook. Everybody, anybody like to play Rook? It's a popular game, especially in this part of the world. A lot of people play it all the time. We've got back in Woodbury, we've got clubs. Folks at church that have little Rook clubs where they get together one or two days a week and play Rook for several hours. I mean, they just love this game. But if you've ever played the game of Rook, you'll know that there's one card in the Rook deck that is the trunk card that can take every other card. If you've got that card in your hand and on that hand, you can play that card and take any other card in the deck. It is the card that is over every other card. Well, if you think about it, Jesus is the trump priority. He's the priority that trumps every other priority. doesn't matter how important something else might be. There's lots of important things in this life, things that we place a great deal of priority on. But it doesn't matter what type of priority something else might have. If it comes into conflict with Christ, 
Christ is going to trump it. That's what it means to put Christ first. So that every choice, Christ is the final priority. That doesn't mean we don't have any freedom at all because certainly Christ gives us a lot of freedom within His will to do different things. But it does mean that even when we have the freedom to make a choice, it's going to only be because He has given us the freedom to do so. He's in charge. So as we think tonight about putting Jesus first in our time and our talents, the first thing we wanted to do is we wanted to have a good understanding of what it means in principle to put Jesus first. But sometimes, you know, you can explain a principle to someone and, and, and still that, 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 that someone might have trouble understanding that because maybe they need to see it. You know, some of us are, are visual learners and, and we, need to be see, we need to see something demonstrated or a picture or something so that we can get a good handle, a good idea of what we're talking about. Now, now I can't really demonstrate anything to you here tonight, but we can look at it more practically. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time now thinking about what it looks like practically to do what we've been talking about, put Jesus first, when it comes to the way we spend our time. What does it look like practically to put Jesus first with our time? And again, thinking about the 4th of July, thinking about the fact that we're Americans, as Americans, we like to talk a big talk about how nobody tells us what to do with our time and with our lives. In other words, we have the freedom to choose what we want to do with our time. But practically, do we really live that way? I mean, is it not the case that our lives usually feel like most, if not all, our time is already decided for us? I mean, we don't have much left that's not already going uh, to some kind of commitment or obligation or expectation that someone else might have for us. I mean, we've got a job, right? And we've got to be at our job when the boss says to be there for a certain number of hours. And we've got a family that we've got to take care of. And we've got that responsibility uh, placed upon us. And we've got extended family. And we may not have responsibility for them in every case, but they certainly have expectations for us as to what they expect us to be doing. And we've got children, many of us, and our children have commitments. They've got school, and they've got sports, and they've got activities, and they've got clubs, and they've got play dates. And not only that, but we've got community things that we're involved in. We've got a house and a yard to take care of. And every now and then, we like to get a little bit of sleep. And so you look at all that. And you think, you know, I really don't have a lot of choice when it comes to how I spend my time. That's why sometimes a preacher gets up and he starts talking about how you need to give more time to Jesus. And we sit there on the pew and we think, wow, I don't have any time left. It's kind of like that, that cartoon, you know, uh, from years ago. It was a Disney cartoon, a spoof of Jack and the Beanstalk called Mickey and the Beanstalk. In the beginning of the cartoon, Mickey and Goofy and Donald are starving. And they've only got one bean. And so they try to divide that bean three ways. And you think about that. 
and our time, our leftover time after all of our other obligations and expectations and everything else is kind of like that one bean, right? And we're trying to divide it between a lot of things left over and there's just not that much to go around. And there's a problem with that kind of thinking when it comes to thinking, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of that bean and I'm going to give that to the Lord. Because we want to give Christ more, but we feel like there's just not that much more to give. And we're looking at it completely the wrong way. Because the fact of the matter is, as our King, Christ demands all of our time. Every hour, every minute, every second of every day, and He's not satisfied with any less. And we think, well, now how in the world is that possible? Because I don't have any time left and I've got all these things uh, that, that I need to be doing. What does that even look like? Which is why we're, we're talking about this in a very practical way tonight. What does it look like to put Jesus first in our time? And what I want us to understand is, is that in very many ways, it doesn't look different from what everybody else does. Putting Christ first in our time, in a lot of ways, it looks very similar to the way a lot of people leave, live their lives. Because many of the commitments and obligations that we have, Jesus still wants us to keep. I mean, you think about the fact that he still wants us to work for a living. Even, if, even though we're putting him as the, the king of our lives and we're giving him all our time, he wants us to use that time to work for a living. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11 we're to work with our hands. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. If a man won't work, neither shall he eat. And he wants us to take care of our family, not just financially, but in every other way. Jesus even wants us to rest. Like he tried to do on more than one occasion sometimes. Sometimes he was successful. And sometimes he was not. But he tried to rest. And so Jesus wants us to, to, to keep many of the obligations that everybody else is out there keeping. But there's a big difference. The difference is that instead of keeping them for ourselves or someone else, we are keeping those obligations for Him. We're living for Him. And that's a big difference. That's a big difference because we're not doing these things for ourselves anymore. We're not even doing them for our loved ones. Not primarily, not first place. We're doing them for Christ. Which means that we're going to do them His way. For, for example... When it comes to the family, we're going to do the family in his way. If you look back at the book of Colossians and you turn over a couple of chapters, uh, Paul in chapter 3 uh, gives some instructions about the family. Uh, verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And we know that scripture has a lot of other instructions in regard to how Christ wants us to do family. But even a more broad idea than that, in the same context, just a couple of verses later, Paul states that whatever we do, we need to do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man. That's verse 23. So it doesn't matter whether we're at work, or whether we're at the ball game, or whether we're at the community event, or whether we're at the family reunion, or barbecue, or wherever we go. Whatever we do, we're doing it as though we're doing it to Christ. Because in reality, we are doing it for Christ. 
because Christ is in charge of all our time. So the point is, Christ gets all of our time because whatever we do with our time, we're doing it for him. But there's more. You see, putting Christ first with our time also means that sometimes we're going to have to make some tough choices. Because there are some things that Jesus doesn't want us to do with our time. Sinful things. Things that the scripture condemns. I could go through a whole long list. Scripture's full of lists of things like lying and stealing and cheating and, and hurting other people and all kinds of things that are, that are sinful things that we don't need to be doing. Christ doesn't want us to do those things with our times. We understand that. But do we understand this? That there are other things that may not be wrong in and of themselves, but they are not as important as other things that Christ wants us to do. In other words, sometimes we're going to have to make some tough choices between two good things. Like choosing between the community event that someone that we care about and the community wants us to be a part of or being a part of the church event that's at the same time. Putting Christ first in our time means that we're going to have to disappoint some people. And it even means that we're going to have to break some commitments. That commitments that we may have made that are not as important as our commitment to Christ. Amen. Now, when my brother and I were growing up, we both played Little League Baseball. Maybe many of you did this as well. And I remember when I signed up for Little League Baseball, my parents told me that if you sign up to be a part of this team, you're making a commitment to this team, and you're going to be at every practice, and you're going to be at every game, and you're going to do your best because that's the commitment you're making. They told my brother the same thing. It didn't happen with me, but it happened with my brother. That the coach started scheduling practices on Wednesday evening. And so then my parents came to my brother and said, you know, our commitment to Christ is more important than the commitment that you made to the team. Amen. And those are the kinds of tough choices that we have to make if we're going to put Christ first with our time. Amen. So we're thinking tonight about putting Jesus first in our time and our talents. And the first thing we did is we talked in principle about what it means to put Jesus first. It means he's our king. It means that we are giving up the freedom of choice that we have as Americans and we are putting him on the throne where he belongs. And then we said, well, what does that look like when it comes to our time? Well, it means that Jesus is going to be in charge of all of our time. In a lot of ways, that's going to be very similar to the way everybody else lives their lives because a lot of the things that everybody does, Christ wants us to do. But sometimes it's going to mean that there are some tough choices. And it's always going to mean that we're doing those things for Christ first. Amen. But now let's think for just a moment about what it looks like practically to put Jesus first with our talents. And again, when we think about Americans, we Americans like to talk a big talk about the American dream, right? I mean, this is the reason that so many people want to come to this country. It's the reason that we're glad that we are Americans because the American dream is alive and well. And the American dream says that here in this country you can become anything you want to. 
You work hard. You put your mind to it. And the skies, in fact, I remember when I was a little kid, my dad would set me on his knee and he would say to me, Eddie, if you are willing to apply yourself and if you are willing to do your best and if you are willing to work hard and set your mind to it, you can be anything you want to be. Well, with all due respect to my dad and the American dream, I don't know of any form of reality in which I'll ever play in the NBA. No matter how much I put my mind to it, no matter how hard I work, I'm too short and too unathletic. And at this point, I'm too old. It's just not going to happen. The point is, yes, the American dream is alive and well, but we all have limitations. We have limits. There are things that we just can't do. And it's not just a matter of being short. Some of us are too tall. If you're 6'9", you'll never be a racehorse jockey. Your feet would drag the ground. And it's a matter of the fact that, that, that some of us are, 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 are stronger than others. Some of us are physically weaker. Uh, some of us have a, a better minds. And some of us have better minds for one thing or better minds for other. Some of us ha uh, have uh, emotional limits, right? I mean, some of us are, are, are people who can really, really connect with others emotionally. Others of us are people who can make some cold, hard decisions. But generally speaking, you can't do both. We have limitations. But that being said, we also have talents. Things that we're good at. Things that God blessed us with when we were born. Things that we're interested in and we studied and we developed an understanding of skills and talents that we developed by, by hard work and study. We have these things. Some of us are good with our hands. Some of us are good with words. Some of us are good with numbers. Some of us are strong physically. We all have different talents and abilities. And that's why the American dream is alive and well. Because we live in a free country where people can take those talents and develop them and do some incredible things with them. And people have done that. Take, for example, John D. Rockefeller. A man who was raised in poverty but was blessed with an analytical mind and a, a knack for numbers that he parlayed into building one of the most powerful companies in American history. Or think about Oprah Winfrey, who was raised by her grandmother, facing various hardships, but used her talent for public speaking and for performing in front of others to begin hosting a daytime talk show that's now become one of the biggest media empires in American history. Or... Think about Arnold Schwarzenegger, who had a rough childhood in Austria and used not much more than just a lot of muscles to become a movie star and eventually the governor of California. So if you have talent, and we all do, you can do some incredible things with your talent. That's what America's all about. But we're talking about Christians tonight. So as Christians, if... We have acknowledged that Christ is on the throne. How do we use our talents? Do we use them the same way everybody else does? Well, if Christ is king, then Christ is in charge of what we do with our talents. Amen. So what does that look like? There's a big difference 
between what most Americans do, which is using their talents to pursue their own goals. But if Christ comes first in our life, then we're going to use our talents to pursue His goals. There's the difference. We're going to pursue His goals. Well, what are Christ's goals? Well, Christ really only has one goal. His goal is getting everyone, or at least as many as possible, to be with God someday. That is the goal of Christ, which reflects itself in a lot of different ways. It reflects itself through evangelism or making disciples. And then kind of alongside that with, with serving other people who are outside of Christ and showing them the love of Christ so that we can gain an avenue with them to teach them about Christ. But it's also reflected in, in things like spiritual growth and worship and, and building relationships with each other and serving each other because those kinds of things make us ready to be with God someday. But all that fits under the umbrella of Christ's goal, which is getting as many people as possible to be with God. What is to those goals that we apply our talents? And how that looks is kind of different depending on who you are and what your talents are, right? I mean, we all have different talents, so it can look a lot of different ways. But it sums up by saying, basically, we try to fit wherever we can within those goal, or within that goal of Christ. So we go and we look at Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul gives some examples along these lines. Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them in prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministry, or he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, Paul there gives a number of examples, and we can kind of set the first one aside because prophecy is kind of a first century thing. But we can think about the other things that he says. He talks about ministry, that's service. There are some people who have a talent that can apply well to helping other people. They can do something that's helpful to others. And so they can use that talent toward Christ's goal by helping other people. Or there's teaching. Some folks have a, an understanding, an ability to grasp and understand the truths of God's Word and an ability to explain that to others in a way they can understand. They can do that publicly sometimes or maybe privately. Then there's exhortation. Some folks are just encouraging people. And they can build you up and help you feel good about the good that you're doing. And there are some folks who are, are, are very giving people. And this, this can come out in a couple of different ways. There are some that are very giving with their time. There are others that have the, the ability to work hard and, and make a lot of money and, and then be generous with that and, and use that to help other people and to help the Lord's cause. And then there are those who lead, who are good at organizing everything and keeping us on task. And, and of course, there are those who show mercy. Those that have that knack for understanding people's pain and being able to care and show love in that regard. And these are just some examples. There's all kinds of different ways that all of our different abilities can fit into the goal of Christ. Amen. But the fact of the matter is that putting Christ first with our talents means that we're going to use our talents first and foremost not to pursue the American dream for ourselves, but to fulfill the goal of Christ. Amen. So yes, we have freedom. And we have the freedom to choose to put Jesus first. What does that mean in principle? It means that he's king. And he's in charge of everything. What does that look like practically with our time? It means that Jesus gets all of our time. 
And what does that look like practically with our talents? It means that we're going to use the talents that God has given us to pursue first the goals of Christ. If there's someone present here tonight who has a need, we're about to sing an invitation song that is an opportunity for you to come and to ask for help with the need that you have. If your need is to obey the gospel, and certainly we are here to help you do that. If your need is for the prayers of the church in some way, for any reason, we're here to help you with that as well. If you need to come, we hope you will. As together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.